Welcome to the 1% Mindset Podcast, where we know that everything starts from the shoulders up before it starts from the shoulders down. We believe in discipline and hard work. We also understand that it really takes a mindset to achieve anything that you go after. All right, what's going on, guys? This is Mike with the 1% Mindset. We are on the podcast. I'm with my man, Karam Bolden. How are you doing good, sir? Hey, what's going on, my man? I'm doing good. Hold on, before we get started, can I get one of those shirts, though? The 1% <laughs> can I get a shirt? And I, I, I got you, man. I, I, it's on the way. I got you. I got <laughs> nice you. shirt, my man. I got to get I, one of those. I actually got to get you a book, too. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm in luck. It's my lucky day. <laughs> Uh, man, first and foremost, man, thank you for being on, man. I definitely do appreciate it. Uh, just, just full disclaimer to let you guys know who, who followed the podcast. Uh, Karan ha, uh, has coached me in the past. He's actually still coaching me to this day. He's been uh, my mentor, my speaking coach. So a lot of the things that I've, I've done that I've said has been in you know, direct correlation to uh, what Karan has done for me. So, you know, thank you, first and foremost. It's all good. It's all good, man. It's... It's uh, good uh, being able to work with you, and I appreciate you for allowing me to be inside your, you know, your bubble, your space, or whatever, man. So appreciate it. Definitely, definitely. So, kind of want to get started. I mean, I, I know the journey. So, for the people who don't know, I, I want to start with like your beginning. And I know uh, when you first kind of uh, when you first started, you were into the the, the hip hop space, and you were a signed artist. Can you kind of just yep. do that, especially considering there's so many, you know people who want to be, who want to be artists who never get signed and like kind of walk me through that process of that grind and that hustle. Yeah. Well, um, you know, me starting off when I first started off, I was doing music as a way to, uh, kind of live on through my brother. So, um, people that don't know, I lost my brother to gun violence at an early age. It traumatized me in school. I went from being an A and B student to getting like C's, D's and F barely graduating, but I was always brilliant on the inside. And I was always entrepreneurial and, uh, artistic uh with my arts and my crafts and all that stuff and so one day i found i'm um, searching through some crates um of some of my brother's old belongings and he was uh, had these tapes so back then it was cassettes for any of the you know younger generation <laughs> uh, might be telling my age here just a little bit uh but uh he had these cassette tapes and i popped one in one day and he was like hosting like his own radio station back then it was like i guess in today's time it would be his own podcast but he was recording songs, letting them play, and then he was acting like he was the DJ. Well, anyway, I started doing the same exact thing, and then, lo and behold, I started writing and making music. And then I started liking that it was really giving me an outlet to be able to express some of those things that were hurting me on the inside. I was able to now get those out of me, and I felt better, and I did better in school. Well, of course, we know back then that arts and uh, those type of things really didn't mean anything back then, and they really didn't know how to handle um, um, people that have gone through traumatic situations as much as they do today, um, not when it comes to innovation. Well, anyway, long story short, I ended up, uh, started rapping full-time, winning talent shows, winning money, and then mm. we ended up, uh, I started branding and marketing and uh, ended up getting a record deal with Def Jam later on. So, you know, we our hard work paid off, ended up getting a record deal with Def Jam, shot a music video, was traveling all over everywhere, and, uh, you know, that was uh, one of the first big, things that I actually achieved and accomplished in my life um, when it comes to thinking big. What was that experience like, you know, signing, I'm pretty sure at a pretty young age, um, I'm, guessing, I'm guessing they front loaded you some money. Um, yep. Like how, what was that experience going from, 
I guess where you were, you know, losing your, your brother to, to gun violence and just having, you know, success, right? Being, having money for the first time, having success. What was that experience like? Man, can I be honest with you or you want me to tell you the nah, truth? I, 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 you gotta keep it real, you know? All right, all right, all right. It was amazing, bro. I don't <laughs> <laughs> It was absolutely one of the most amazing experiences that I ever had in my life. I mean, to literally be listening to a cassette tape of some of the world's greatest artists, such as LL Cool J and Kanye West uh, later on in life, Kanye West and all these big people, Jay-Z, Rihanna, and to be able to walk around in the actual building of the people that I'm listening to and I admire and I respect was totally phenomenal. Uh, traveling to New York the first day that we got a chance to perform in front of uh, their CEO at that time. And I was just blown away, man. I really was uh, on a high and I, uh, you know, there's one thing that they say, once you learn something, you can't unlearn it. So there's some pros and cons to that a little bit, because once you experience goodness, it's kind of hard to go back and unlearn what you already learned or see uh, or unsee what you've already saw. And so that was one of the biggest things. So there was some pros to it. There's also some cons to it because I spent the rest of my life not being able to dream small, which I guess is a good thing. But at the same time, dreaming big also comes with its challenges. And so you have to surround yourself around the right people. You have to have the right mindset. The 1% mindset is a matter of fact of what you're talking about. And you got to make sure that you are constantly working on yourself day to day, because once you turn it on, you can't turn it off. Mm. So you, you transitioned from, from music. So you got the deal and um, I guess you start to transition out of music. Um, then you decided to open up a record store inside the mall. This was yep. after the music deal, correct? Yep, yep, yep. So, so just kind of a little bit before that, uh, what happened is we ended up losing a record deal. Uh, there were some uh, changes at the record label that were out of our control, where the CEO actually, uh, he, he, he resigned. And uh, so um, with that happening, we really didn't have a record deal at all. I mean, you can't make decisions without a president or CEO at the company. And so we ended up losing that record deal. And I had another opportunity to get another record deal. But uh, um, at the time, I had a son. And my mom used to always tell me I didn't have my dad in my life. So my mom used to always say, hey, Ron, make sure you make me this one promise. If you take care of when you have a son, make sure you change the generational curse or make sure you change like what has happened to you. Make sure you don't pass that down. And so I made a promise to my mom. And so I had to ask myself at that moment, did I want to continuously keep chasing my dreams or was I going to do the responsible thing and be home and be a dad and change the generational things that have come up against me in my life, in my, my, my childhood. And uh, I made the decision to stay. And uh, part of that deal was, uh, you know, my wife, uh, well, she's my wife now, but my uh, girlfriend at the time, she uh, one of the parts of the deal of me just being irresponsible, always on the road, always keep putting the money back into the business. One of the things was, hey, you got to go get a job or something like that. Like, I really want you to be stable and be a good role model for your son. And so I took her up on that, stayed home, making seven dollars an hour. Can you believe that, Mike? Mm -hmm. Like I was literally making a hundred thousand dollar record deal. It's going to turn into millions of dollars over the years shooting a music video and I had to go and work at a telemarketing company for $7 an hour. <laughs> Most embarrassing thing, my video was still playing, Mike. Do you understand? Do you <laughs> see the pain in my eyes? Like, <laughs> like I, wow. I couldn't believe it. My video was still playing and I'm sitting with a headset on 
talking to customers and clients and people laughing at me at work. Well, anyway, long story short, I stayed focused with that 1% mindset and I moved up through the rankings and I ended up uh, saving up enough money to be able to own my own recording studio, record store inside of a mall. And that's where we got our big break from. And so that's what kind of like, uh, you know, you know if, there, if there's anybody, I want to say this, pause, is that if there's anybody out there that's working a nine to five and you feel like you can't get ahead, I want to let you know that if you stay patient and you work your land little bit by little bit, you will eventually overcome and live your dreams. But you got to stay patient. What was and I, what was so unique about this uh, this record this uh, record store that you, well not the record store but the recording studio that you opened up in the mall? What was so unique about that? Yeah, so uh, for one of the biggest things when it comes to uh, businesses, I always tell people that you need to start with a why. So most people say, you know, you start with the who, what, when, where, why, um, how, and I scratch all those things out and I say, wow, I should always start with a wow because if you can't get people's attention, you can have the best lemonade stand or barbershop or beauty salon or even barbecue restaurant. If nobody knows that you're there, it doesn't even matter. You're going to close out. So I always start with a wow. So my wow moment was to open up a recording studio inside of a mall. No one had done this at all. I did all the research. Nobody had a recording studio in the mall. And I thought to myself, I don't really have the marketing dollars and the promotion dollars. I only have enough money to open up the doors. And I'm limited on resources and funding. Really don't know what I'm doing at all. And I don't have a blueprint for this. And so I needed to come up with a big wow. So the first wow that I did was open up a recording studio inside of the mall. Now, a lot of people called me crazy. They said, that is not going to work. How can you do that? Why would you do that? As a matter of fact, this was when the recession was going on. So they're like, why would you do that? Nobody has any money. And in my mind, I'm thinking like, I am about to do exactly what I believe in my heart to do. And I'm going to start with a wow. So most people try to go out on faith and open up a business. That will not work. I'm, I'm all for faith. But if you don't have a wow, you are going to be swimming an upstream battle. You're going to be walking on a slippery slope. So I made sure that I opened up a recording studio inside of a mall, which allowed me the opportunity to meet millions of people walking past my door every day. And I didn't have to pass out one flyer. Uh, I didn't have to use social media. I could shake hands with people that walk past my business every day. So that was wild number one. And then wild number two, I wanted to take it to like wild, like 2.0. And I really, really pushed it on this, but I was uh, a recording studio that restricted um, youth from using profanity in their studio, uh, in their lyrics. And so that uh, was a bit of a challenge because I lost a lot of business from that. But at the same time, it was a big wow factor. The people that talked about me and said that it wouldn't work, they were going out telling 20 people like, hey, you heard about this recording studio in the mall? Man, it looks really, really good in there. And I really want to work with these guys, but you can't use profanity. That's stupid. So they're telling 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 people not knowing that they're helping people become intrigued and curious about seeing about this recording studio that was really in a mall. So people would come up and walk past my door just to see if I was still open and to see if this thing was real. And I used that as a marketing tactic uh, and integrity tactic to be able to do something on a larger scale to work with major corporations, colleges, schools, and uh, which eventually spawned out my uh, my uh, motivational speaking career and consulting business. You said you had a, that's where your major breakthrough happened when you opened up that, uh, that recording studio. Yeah. Uh, what, what was that one piece or whatever, what was that breakthrough that happened for you? 
Uh, the breakthrough happened just from knowing that you could stand on integrity and not going uh, with the status quo. Um, I did something that was totally opposite of what anybody was doing. I mean, you think about hip hop, you're thinking profanity, you're thinking ultimate expression. And whether you want to argue the fact of uh, is profanity wrong or is it not, what I was doing, I was challenging young leaders and musicians to understand how to be able to speak in a language and challenge them to be able to say something in a way that restricted them, but also expanded their minds. And so anybody can use profanity. I mean, that, there's not, I, I know people that use profanity. There are some great people. I know people that use profanity. There's not great people. It has nothing to do with necessarily who you are. But what I wanted to do is I wanted to challenge young musicians to be able to do something different, to be able to stand out and also think entrepreneurially. Because one part about being an entrepreneur is you've got to think outside the box. You can't be status quo. If, you, if everybody's doing it, you won't win. It, you have to stand out. And so this was a way to stand out. And honestly, in, in honesty, um, the people that went through my recording studio, the people that I coach and mentor, they've been on uh, American Idol. They've been on, uh, one of them has a record, two of them have a record deal right now. Um, and, and they're living out their dreams. And so, you know, and I, I got tons of other stories of people that have done tons of other great things for me coaching. But I wanted to just, that breakthrough moment was when I decided that I was going to give back to the youth in a way that was non-traditional and I was going to stand my ground and I wasn't going to allow anybody to come in and disrupt what I was on at that particular time. And so that was my breakthrough moment to understand that you can be different and also be very dangerous in a good way, so to speak. You can be very dangerous as far as the status quo is concerned. And so that's where my big breakthrough came from. Transitioned from the recording studio and started doing youth development, um, motivational speaking. Yep. What, what pushed you in that arena? And, you know, I obviously I met you you know, because of that, and I spoke on a panel that you were a keynote speaker for, and we connected via that, and, you know, very powerful speaker. How, like, where did that, that shift happen from the recording studio to being in classrooms, being, you know, speaking at corporations? Where, where did that shift happen? You know, one of the things I think is that once you align up with your destiny, uh, everything else just falls into place. So many people try to figure everything out. Um, I never had a business plan or anything when I first started. And uh, a lot of people said that that's crazy. Most people spend a lot of time focusing on trying to make everything perfect. And I'm naturally a perfectionist, but this time I jumped out the ship. And that came a lot from my uh, relationship that I had uh, with the man upstairs. You know, I had a, a, a life change and it was, it was big and it was powerful. And I prayed a lot. I meditated a lot. I started to look at the law of attraction and the secret and and then those books turned into other books. And then I started reading and I started to understand how powerful the mind was. It was like, it was it really success had nothing to do with you chasing success. It really had to do with if you change your mindset, success will start to chase you. And I give it a, a, an example of like a butterfly. If you try to chase a butterfly, it's going to fly away. But people that really know how to get butterflies to come on you, if you stand still and you wait there and your energy is right and you're calm and you're peaceful, the butterfly will actually come on you and rest on your shoulders and flap his wings. And so that's what success is like. If, if you keep on chasing it, it's going to run away from you. It's scared of you. But if you sit back and be patient and just jump out knowing that who you are and let the greatness and your energy vibrate on a level that most people aren't on, the success will actually become like um, a gravitational pull where it pulls the success 
back to you. And so that's when I start to understand the mindset and understand how it works and understanding how you can think big and you dream big and you talk big and big will come showing up at your doorstep. I never chase any deals. As a matter of fact, the deals that I've chased always blew up in my face. The ones that I sat back and I waited on and I just worked my land day by day, minute by minute, second by second, those are the greatest deals that ever opened up for me. So I never really focused on trying to go get deals or anything like that. I've just really just sat back and let the deals come to me. Mm. That's powerful. So yeah. We're, so you're, you, you've, you've transitioned into the space and basically just walking through faith and it kind of just happened, like you said. Now you've, you, you have, you coined the term uh, St. Louis Obama, you've won awards, you've been uh, pretty big in the St. Louis area. Kind of tell me how that, how did that name come about? What did you do? What did you do for that city particular, particularly like, what, what is that? Like? Yeah, yeah. So, uh. I called myself uh, STL Obama just because I felt like, um, you know, what Obama had done, he was the first to do anything. He was mm -hmm. the first person to be the first African-American to become the president of the United States of America, which had never been seen, never had been done. And people never even think that they were going to win. I mean, if Michelle Obama even on camera said that she didn't think that they were going to win. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so things like that is like, I felt like that. Sometimes I felt like when I, before I opened up my doors to my recording studio, before I delivered my first speech, before I, you know, uh, start consulting for major corporations, I didn't believe that I could really do it. It was just, I didn't, or should I say, I wasn't 100% confident that I could do it, but I was 100% confident that I could at least take the first step to greatness. And uh, so I called myself STL Obama. A lot of people call me crazy, like, oh, you're putting yourself up on a high pedestal. Like, you're not going <laughs> to. Yes, I am. I'm going to be the first to do it. There's a model that we had at Street Dreams, which was the name of my recording studio. Uh, and that was that we were going to be either the first to do it or the best to do it, and preferably both. So we were going to either be the If we weren't the first to do it or the best to do it, we weren't going to touch it. So if there's any entrepreneurs that's listening right now, if you're not the first to do it or the best to do it, the chances of you doing it and doing it on a major level, is not going to work. Like that's why it, it helps me focus. I ask myself when I'm about to do something, am I going to be the first to do it? Cause the first man on the moon, everybody remembers the first man on the moon. Nobody remembers the 10th man or the 20th man on the moon. Everybody in history remembers the first man on the moon. So that's going to help you in your marketing plan. If you're the first to do something, you're going to stick in the consumer's mind that you're number one. It's going to be hard for people to beat you out. So either be the first to do something or either you be the best to do something and preferably both. And so that was just what we were doing with the Street Dreams model. We were the first people to have a recording studio and we were the best people to have a recording studio because not only did we record people, we also showed them how to get on stage and market and brand themselves. We gave them platforms to be able to perform at different places. I did coaching and mentoring and development. Um, I showed them how to sell CDs and how to sell their podcasts and how to sell themselves ultimately. And these students were making money, um, 16, 15, 14, 12 years old, making money, which most people don't even see a return on their investment when it comes to music. And so that was what my mission was to do. That's what we did. And it was all about quality over quantity. I didn't care about having 10,000 people come through my studio. I just wanted the 10 people that did come to my studio, which I did have more than that, of course. But I did want the 10 people that came to my studio that was serious. I wanted them to be the representation of the brand and they became that and I'm excited about it and I feel fulfilled that I helped some young people overcome the obstacles that were uh, coming up against them at that particular time. 
you call yourself, uh, or you, at least via your IG, it says the best speaker alive, the world's <laughs> best mentor for aspiring speakers and authors. Yep. Where did that, where, why, what makes you the best um, yeah. for aspiring speakers and authors? Yeah, um, well, I came up with that coin. That was just kind of a spin off of the STL Obama. You know, every so, so often you got to re reinvent yourself. And so I decided to call myself the best speaker alive. And I just believe that in my heart. You know, other people that are speakers, they should believe that too. Um, to me, in my topic, what, what I was saying is not that I'm comparing myself against anybody, belittling anybody else. What I'm saying is, is when it comes to me being authentically me, I am the best speaker on my particular topic and my particular story. Nobody else can be me. So I can tell that story in the best way possible because I told it over and over again. I've worked on it. I've worked on my craft. So I am the best speaker alive. If you're a speaker and you're working on your craft, you're the best speaker alive. And we all have a story and it's unique. And so I just called myself, I said, hey, you know, I'm the best speaker alive. And I immediately, you know, this is what's so crazy. Immediately when I posted that, uh, somebody said something to the effect of, how can you be the best speaker alive when I'm the best speaker alive? You're the second best speaker alive. And I'm thinking like, man, I'm not even talking about that. Like you, you, you really don't understand what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is that I'm the best speaker alive because I'm living my message and nobody can speak my message in the way that I can. And so that's what I was saying with that. And uh, that transition to my be becoming the best speaker alive and honing my message, doing over 900 speeches, um, speaking over 500,000 people across the country via speeches and social media, uh, video Skypes and all that. Um, I developed a unique ability to be able to start coaching people. And my coaching clients uh, are phenomenal, uh, including yourself, by the way. I'm really, really excited about what you're doing, but I know how to coach people. I know how to develop them. And so, you know, anybody can, I was telling somebody this yesterday that was, uh, we were doing a consulting about uh, where they were going to sign up for my program. He was really, really excited. And I said, you know, it's, it's crazy because anybody can look online in the information age and find out how to become a motivational speaker. Becoming a motivational speaker is all about your coach. Anybody can look to see how to be a basketball player. Anybody can look to see how to be a football player. But if you look online or you read a book on becoming a basketball player, that's different than having Phil Jackson or Steve Kerr coach. It's two total different things. So you can look online and become a motivational speaker all you want to or become an author. But if you really want coaching and development and you want to become a champion, you need a coach, an ideal champion. Karan Bolden is the best speaker alive, <laughs> and I am the greatest coach in the world for speakers and authors that – speak out and have a passion to be able to do new things in life. I'm the best because I build champions. That's, that's point blank period. It's not up for discussion. It's not up for debate. <laughs> it's not up for argument. I have produced people that have gotten some of the same results that I've received and even quicker. And so my prayer is always that I coach and mentor the people that are going to be greater than me. And so greater than me has nothing to do with achievements and accomplishments. I'm, think, I'm thinking speed. Like what it took me seven years to do, some of you guys are doing that in a year, in six months, in two months, in three years. Everybody goes at their own pace. But it took me 100 speeches before I got my first pay. I didn't even think you can get paid for speaking. It took me 100 speeches before I, it dawned on me that you can do 
get paid for it. Not my coaching clients. My coaching clients, I'm telling them, hey, day one, we already believe it. We're dreaming for it. We're going to make it happen. Think big. Talk big. Know that you'll work something. And through that, my coaching clients, the majority of them get something within the first year. I mean, even before then, but I'm just giving an example. I don't want to overpromise anybody that's listening thinking it's like a <laughs> get-rich-quick scheme. It's not. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of no's. It's a lot of discouragement in the speaking industry. It's a tough industry, but once you break through, you out of here. Over 900 speeches. Is there one particular speech? And there's probably not one that stands up, but is there one that you can think that that either – shifted something whether that's in a good or bad way is there one in particular that you could think of that that kind of gave you that yeah the one that really stands out to me the most was the one that i did uh with uh, uh the one that stands out to me the most is the one that i did with uh banana republic mm-hmm. um i got a Looks like we lost him, guys. Hold on. Let's see if we can get him back. All right, he's back. Okay, hello? Yeah. I'm back, I'm back, I'm back. All right, cool. Let's get to it. All right, so the one that stands out to me the most is the one that um, I did with Banana Republic. Mm -hmm. And uh, the one that I did with Banana Republic was an amazing one because me speaking on stage to a 1,000 general managers across the world for Banana Republic was amazing. The CEO, everybody was there, and they even had a translator on stage, and it was crazy because that was the first speech that I did where they had a translator on stage, and it was crazy because when you have a translator, they actually had uh, headsets on, and uh, there was a guy in the back translating, so he wasn't on the stage. He was in a booth in the back, and so I would tell a joke, and people would laugh, and then it was like a delay. Like, five seconds later, he had to translate it. So it takes a while for him to translate. So they'll start laughing a little later on. <laughs> like it's a five second delay. <laughs> um, so that was a cool experience. Um, and the most, the biggest thing that I learned out of that is that I had been thinking about writing a book for the longest time. Like, and I, ne- I kept procrastinating. And uh, I thought that I was something because I was speaking and all that. And I'm just like, I'm making money. It doesn't matter. I'll just go out and I'll speak. It doesn't matter. I'll, I'll write the book. I'll get to it. I'll get to it. Well, when I finished that speech, there was a long line of general managers that were in Las Vegas that wanted to buy a book and products and stuff. For, and I didn't have anything at all. And I thought to myself, if I would have had my book, I could have sold a thousand books here. They probably would have did an Oprah moment and said, hey, Karan Bozen did so good that we're buying books for everybody. And that didn't happen because I wasn't prepared. And I missed out. I think in my head, if I would have sold a thousand books, I just missed out on $25,000. Well. When I came back home, guess what happened? I wrote that book in like 30, 60 days. Like I was not playing at all. Like I I had to get that book done because I understood at that moment, and I've said this with you, is that platform without product is pointless. You can have the biggest platform on on this earth, um, but if you don't have products to sell after it's over with, you're doing a great disservice to the people that you were talking to because they're gonna want to develop the mindset and inherit the mindset that you have. And that can only happen through teaching tapes, seminars, and some people can't get through that. So, you know, the book is the best way to be able to inherit someone's mindsets and thoughts and beliefs. And so by not having that, I start to understand how pointless it was for me to keep moving forward. And uh, it's like getting people excited about something, but you never give them um, an, a physical product or a physical um, extension 
of how to do it after you you leave. So I get people motivated, but then it's like, okay, I'm excited, I'm excited. Where do I start? They didn't have any connection points. So I ended up writing a book, Rock, Paper, Scissors, that was uh, from the speech that I did from the Gap uh, Banana Republic experience. And uh, we later on, I've sold 6,000 books uh, over a period of time. So I'm excited about that, so. Nice, C congratulations, congratulations. And actually you were the reason that uh, I wrote my book, right? So yeah. you told me, you said, hey, you need a book, you need to make it happen. And you know, I did, right? It took yeah. a little longer than I originally anticipated, but you know, within, before the end of the year, I, I, I dropped mine. So I definitely appreciate that as well. Hey, can we see that book again? Can I see it again? Can you hold it up? Absolutely. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. I just had to make sure. You know, I had to make sure it was real. I yeah. Sure. You know, put, I put some blood, sweat, and tears into this, but it's uh, it's, it's good stuff, man. It's good stuff. I got a lot of great reviews, and I'm, again, I, I'm working on, uh, you know, really making sure that it gets out to the right people, and uh, I'm excited about it. I'm definitely, definitely excited. Well, so, so I know this is an interview about me, but what do you think was like the biggest thing for you when you were writing the book? Like, did you like what was the biggest thing to help you push through? Because I know like around like when you start the book, there's a lot of excitement, and then when you get like to the middle of the book, it starts to be like, "Am I signing redundant?" And a lot of self doubt. You're like, how many more pages do I gotta go? What was that like when you were writing the book? Did you feel like uh, what what pushed you through to get it done? Well. So I started it in like the end of August. And then, like you said, you know, the excitement died. I took long breaks. And then I think I had a conversation with you and, and you spoke to me about, you know, what you had planned and uh, just, you know, getting back on tour and just things that you were doing. So I made sure I set a hard deadline for myself. I, I believe that uh, being of your word is extremely important. I think that's one of the biggest things that I've just learned throughout life is is being of your word, right? If you say you're gonna do something, no matter what the situation is, no matter the trials and tribulations that you go through, you gotta figure out how to get it done, like regardless. Yeah. And yeah. I think that during the t my times of struggle, writer's block, all the issues, like I set a hard deadline. I said, I'm gonna have it done by this date, no matter what. And yeah. I think once I set that hard deadline, that, that date, I, I just worked day in and day out to make sure I got it done. Now I'm not saying I, you know, I, I was up, you know, had riding on one hour. No, I, I paced myself, but I made sure I stayed consistent. I think, you know, the single hardest thing or the single most important thing, especially as an entrepreneur, is, is discipline, right? We yeah. get it early on in the beginning and then it kind of fades away. And, you know, I, I've been working strategically, especially on, on discipline, you know, whether that's, you know, the six major things that I'm, that I'm working on day in and day out. Uh, that's reading, that's, that's uh, writing down my goals, eating healthy, drinking water, uh, meditating, you know, just certain, there's like six main yeah. principles. And I think like when I'm going through a book, I want to have like a certain amount of books that I read per month. And I got into the, last year what I did was I wouldn't read for like a day or two, then I'd read for like an hour and a half, you know, one day. And it doesn't build consistency. It doesn't build discipline. Yeah, so yeah. Really said, even if it's 15 or 20 minutes a day, like doing it day in and day out, no matter what. And just building that discipline, building that confidence is getting me, I get up and go to the gym every morning at 5 a.m. Yeah. Yeah. Just building that discipline and that structure has allowed me to really kind of elevate, so to speak. And I can look, no matter what your income is, how much money you make, who you are, I can go in with confidence and speak to anybody and feel comfortable because in the back of my head, whether that's, you know, my psychological trigger or not, I'm like, just, you don't work as hard as me. So I can have, you know, I'm never intimidated by anyone because of these disciplines and these structures and these routines. Yeah. Because of that. Yeah, no, that's good, man. I, I, I've seen your growth, man. You were already on fire even before I met you or whatever. You had a mindset that was like super, super, super amazing and just 
not giving up, not quitting. And so it, it's it's of no surprise that you're continuously taking great leaps and bounds with your speaking career and getting your book done so fast. I'm really proud of you, man. You're doing some amazing things, man. I can't wait to see what 2019 has for you and beyond. I mean, I definitely appreciate that, which kind of brings me to my next question, because as, as I'm thinking about 2019 and, and what I want to accomplish and just really, you know, kind of setting up my speaking career, getting my first paid speaking gig that's happening in a few weeks, uh, you, you had success. You had success. Um, you, again, it took you some years, but you had success, a lot of success. You award speaking. How did you... And even not even just speaking, but, you know, even being a signed artist at, you know, at a point in time, like, how did you, how were you able to manage that, um, I guess, that fame that came? Man, you know what, honestly, to tell you the truth, that was another area that I failed at. And so you, you can hear a lot of times where I'm telling you that I failed um, a lot, but those failures actually made me um, more confident when you don't give up on it, you know, um, I wasn't able to deal with any of it, honestly. You know, a lot of people could say they prepare themselves for the NBA contracts or rise to fame or the lottery. Or if I had a million dollars or if I won that lottery, this is what I would do. And as you can look, um, there's countless stories of people that won the lottery that went bankrupt. There's constantly videos that I've literally watched myself of people that said that the lottery was the worst thing that ever happened to them. Now you ask yourself, how in the world do you say that when you won 500 million or 30 million or 20 like if I just had that I would be happy and what what you'll find out is that success comes with an ultimate price man it 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 is something that I don't think a lot of people are prepared for when you become successful and uh so there's a difference between success and actually having money those are two totally different things one thing is that, that you can be successful and not have money and people perceive you to have money and by you putting on this fake it till you make it persona people will get mad at you if they ask you for a hundred dollars or a thousand dollars or maybe they'll think that you're so rich that you can pay their rent for the month and they're about to lose everything or their medical bills i don't know what it is it could be something life-threatening but if you don't come through for them and they think you have 10 million dollars in the bank they're going to blame you because they feel like we're friends why can't you help me but that's what happens with fame Fame is a perception of having riches, yet never having riches at all. It's social capital. And social capital, you can't necessarily always cash in, depending on if you're a good marketer or a brander, but you have a lot of social capital. A lot of people are looking at you. You have a lot of fame, but that does not necessarily mean that you have the finances that equal that fame. And so fame is a very, very dangerous thing. And it's a, it's almost like a drug, too, because it... Uh, the reward system in your brains is firing off when people are like, oh, man, Kawhi, you did good. Oh, man, you're the best speaker. Oh, my God, can I take a picture? And can I follow you online? And can you sign my book? People say humble all day long. When you feel that love and that respect and that admiration, man, it is like a drug that you cannot get off of. You, you go home, and now those claps and those cheers and those applause are not there at the capacity of a stadium or a thousand people or people, you know, all in your face or whatever. And so I tell people to watch out all the time when it comes to success, because um, a lot of people that are successful, you see it all the time, they're going crazy and going into depression and having mental health issues and things like that. And all that comes from what I just said from the first example, which is fame does not necessarily an equal fortune. And then the other side of it is that if you have the fortune, um, let's say, for instance, uh, you have a Bentley. If you run into the back of somebody and it's a Bentley uh, car, they look back there as a Bentley. 
they're going to lay out on the stretcher. You know what I mean? They're going to lay out on the stretcher. They're going to say that they're hurt. They're going to go to the hospital. They're going to sue you and sue your insurance company, right? Be only because it's a Bentley. Now, if I pull up and I do that same amount of damage, if not a little worse, with a, a Dodge minivan, you know, 2000, you know, they're going to be just hoping and praying that I have insurance. That's all they, that's all they care about. They're not going to lay out on the stretcher. They're not going to go to the hospital. I'm not saying every situation is like this, but I'm just giving you an example of how perception, people are out there, they're money hungry, and they want your money. So you really got to watch yourself because everybody's out to kind of get you for anything that they can if they see that it's you. So you got to, it's, it's a really, it's a really alienated place. Um, and I've even spoken at events and conferences where, CEOs, some of the top CEOs are so like bogged down with being alone. $100 million company, two $300 million companies. They're the most loneliest people on earth because everybody's always out to get something from them. Nobody's asking them how they're doing. They're just going day to day. Um, always giving out, not having any value and people constantly drawing and pulling from them. And so that can become a depressing thing. And you just got to have the right people around you and you got to always remember why you started, because if not, you can find yourself uh, losing everything overnight of something that it took you 10, 20, 30 years to get. So for, for someone like me, for example, right, who's, who's kind of coming up in the game and as I'm starting, starting to speak and, you know, I'm pretty confident in, in what I do as well, right? So I, I foresee, you know, the applause, the claps, great speeches. For someone like me, what kind of advice would you give someone like me who, who's kind of coming up and, you know, have a book out, people may want to sign it, stuff like, like, how, how will I, how, how do I, not necessarily humble myself, I don't feel cocky in a sense, but just, like you said, when those endorphins hit and when, you know, all these things start to happen, you, you, you do feel good, right? When I, I started creating videos and when I got the love, that's when I, I was like, oh, let me continue to do this, right? That's, yep. that, that kind of drove me to keep going. Um, so what do you say to someone like me who's going to eventually experience something like that and kind of have to, I guess, put things into perspective, so to speak? Yeah, uh, so two quick things come to mind. The first is that uh, I would tell you, you, and it's easy for anybody to say, don't let the applause get to your head. Bump that, it's going to get to your head. <laughs> Just point blank, period. It feels good. It actually really feels really, really good to be needed. As humans, we want to be needed. It feels really, really good when you're needed by a lot of people. And so they can say that all you want to until you experience it, you know, there's nothing you can really say. So the thing that I would tell you is, uh, number one is to make sure you have an exit strategy. Uh, most people open up businesses and they just think that they're gonna speak for the rest of their lives. And it's like, you can speak to your 70, 80 years old. The reality of that is that one day you're gonna burn out. One day something tragic might happen and you might need to take a break. And so I tell people always to set up an exit strategy, which basically is to create products and services that extend beyond you. You know, Apple has not only the iMac, but they also have the, the uh, Apple Watch. They also have the iPhone X, and they also have all these other devices. So creating products and extensions of yourself, whether that in, in, in case and point of the, the uh, motivational speaking world, that's you as a speaker. Then there's an extension of you as coaching, doing life coaching, one-on-one uh, -on, -one on the phone or group coaching. That can be um, online courses that I really highly suggest, which is you recording some videos and then putting them on your online platform and then you can make money without you being there. I can't possibly in this world talk to a coach a million people, but my online course can. 
I can't coach a, a million people in one month, but my online course can. And so you're talking about this working even when I'm asleep, I'm still coaching because my videos can be played at any point in time. So these are the things that I highly suggest any speaker and author to set up when they're trying to coach and develop and, 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 and build up their brands to understand that one day you might wake up and say, I don't want to do this anymore. And you'll have to start all over in the next phase that you're, what you're getting ready to do. So I say I always create an exit strategy. And number two is I want to tell anybody to make sure you either get an accountability partner who knows how to coach and develop you and pour into you just as much as you're pointing to other people. And also uh, maybe that's counseling or maybe that's just an accountability partner, but you, you're going to need somebody that watches out uh, particularly for this thing called, uh, and I, I, I just really started researching this. This is something that really hit me, but it's this thing called um, secondary traumatic stress um, that comes from, and I want you, if you're a philanthropist, if you're a speaker, if you're a caseworker, if you're a teacher, if you're a barber, you're a doctor, you're a nurse that deals with people that are traumatized, the studies on this show that people that listen and deal and help with people that are traumatized, if you're not careful, and don't have people pouring into you and you're not having somebody accountable to you, making sure that you don't go overboard, that you're open to the possibility of you becoming traumatized, not because something actually happened to you, but if you're listening to a lot of suicide cases or you're listening to a lot of people that are saying they're depressed or they're thinking that they're, you know, somebody killed somebody in their family. If you keep listening to that over and over again, um, that can have a, a drastic impact and a traumatic impact on you and your body will begin to shut down and your mind will actually shut down because it, it's trying to protect itself from you going overboard. And so, you know, I would tell anybody if I was, if I was talking to my younger self, I would say pace myself. Don't make this big goal. Like I want to reach a million people and I want to, I want to help everybody that called me. If you call my phone, I'm going to answer it. And I'm going to talk to you and I'm going to listen. I'm going to be there for you. I'm always there for you. No, you got to understand when to shut this thing off. Cause I got to a point where I was taking this stuff home with me. I would go to schools and talk to a thousand kids and do a small workshop. And then some of the students would reach out to me online and they would tell me some of the things that they've been going through, whether it was losing a brother and I'm taking this stuff home with me. So 24 hours a day, I'm listening to people's problems, not doing any type of vacations, not any me time, not any recreation. I just got consumed with, with helping people to the point that it hurt me. And a wise mentor once told me that, my health is just as important as the people that I serve. So don't ever put your own health at risk because then you're no good for nobody, including the people that are looking up to you. So I would tell anybody to make sure you pace yourself, have a good exit strategy and get a good accountability partner because you do not want to be the person that builds it up once again. And then you look up and you're like, I don't even want to do this anymore. And it's not burnout. This is not a burnout thing. It has nothing to do with burnout. It's just your mind cannot handle listening to trauma all day long without it actually traumatizing you. And so um, the studies that I was looking at that is that six to 26% of people that uh, are caseworkers with children, uh, they uh, have a 26 to 26% chance of uh, developing this type of stress. And if they have a high case of, uh, of uh, traumatic uh, cases uh, and workload, it could be up to 50%. And there's so many things you avoid going to public places. You don't want to answer your phone because you know that you're going to be there for them. You're going to inherit people's problems. You feel guilt. You feel shame. You feel like you don't want to do it anymore. There's burnout. There's fatigue. There's physical ailments that come in your body because your brain is constantly listening to stuff all day long. And so what I would say is get you somebody that's pouring into you just as much as you're pouring into other people. When did, when did you realize that it, for you that it wasn't burnout, but it was the... the 
what was it the stress disorder what was the first word something stress disorder yes yeah, uh, secondary traumatic stress secondary so yeah when did you realize that i remember you you just you spoke to me about just being burnt out and like when did that when did you realize like yo it's not burnout it's just you know i i was taking in so much so many other people's problems that it started to affect your mental health like when when did you realize that or what kind of triggered that uh it started about three years ago for me honestly uh it was like a it's and i tell people to watch out for it because it, it's it creeps up slow because you got so much passion your passion will put you in denial about it you you don't you just think i'm just gonna keep going i'm a grind 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 and i i you know you see all these gurus out here and they're like grind work hard work 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 man when you get that's not that's a young man's game that's a that's a uneducated young man's game that's passion and it's it's zeal but zeal without knowledge is dangerous man you don't want to be zealous and think you're going to over over overcome the world and its problems there's, there's nothing we can do we can only add so much to the we can't change the world all we have to do and this is something that i learned is that when we change ourselves we can change the world so most motivational speakers that come to me they're like they're like i want to reach a million people i want to i want to change the world and and then they say you know if i can only reach one person i would i, I would feel like it, I, my life will make a difference what i want to tell you is that that one person that you're talking about changing and developing and mentoring and cultivating that you can feel fulfilled on, that one person is not other people, it's you. If you change yourself, like Michael Jackson say, the man in the mirror, you know what I mean? He said, if you look at yourself and make the change, you can make the world a better place. If you change yourself, you're gonna have better relationships, your culture, your mentor, you'll, you'll have energy, at a, at a level that you wouldn't normally have. And so if you change yourself, that one person that you're looking to change is you. And so I thought that it was through changing other people and I ended up losing myself and my own identity. And so when that happened to me like three years ago, didn't really know what it was. And then everybody started jumping on this mental health topic, uh, talking about it. And then there's some people that are out here and I'm not gonna name any names, but people out here that make mental health look like a, 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 a a class act show it's like a clown show like oh mentally like no this isn't a, this isn't a game like people are really dealing with mental health issues and also the people that serve people with mental health issues are having issues and so um people are just generalizing and call it anxiety or depression or whatever and really if you look at secondary traumatic stress um that actually and or they'll say burnout if, if you look at that uh the studies on that um it it really is nothing happened. You just were listening to everybody else's problems. And you're, not, you're supposed to have a supervisor that's supervising you on that type of stuff. And nobody's talked about it. So I, I kept thinking like, okay, maybe this is anxiety or maybe I'm down in the dumps and this, that, and other. And nothing was actually wrong with me at all. There was nothing wrong with me. What was wrong was that I kept listening to everybody else's problems. And uh, I looked up and I just didn't want to do it anymore. I started feeling like guilt and shame and stuff like that out of nowhere for no reason. And it was just like, I didn't even want to get on the phone because people would blame me. Like if I didn't answer the phone call, it's like, you weren't there for me when I, when I really needed you. And then I started to feel guilty and shame and obligated and I didn't even want to do it anymore. And so I wanted to let people know to, if you're doing a high volume of dealing with people and their problems, and that does not just mean caseworkers, it means barbers and beauty salons. You're often listening to people's problems when they're listening and they're sitting in your chairs. That's motivational speakers. That is coaches. That's developed, uh, uh, athlete, your coach, athlete, you know, coach athletes, um, your coaching athletes, all those, if you're dealing with people in trauma and stress, um, I would highly suggest 
that you look into not just anxiety and depression and stuff like that that's generalized through mental health, but particularly look into the secondary traumatic stress and make sure you look and just talk to your, your doctor or talk to somebody that you know that's a professional in the field that can explain what that is to you because the average counselor is not just going to bring that up. They're just going to generalize it and say anxiety, depression, oh, you know, let's, let's just fix it. And they'll tell you to do stuff like meditate and all that type of stuff. But if you don't, if you keep answering that phone and keep pouring out more than you're getting poured into, it doesn't matter. You can do that all day long. It's not going to work. You need somebody that's going to hold you accountable and make sure you're taking trips. And like you were saying, drink water and eat healthy and stuff like that. You need a holistic body to be able to go out and serve the community at large. And so if there's anybody that's listening out here, please look at it. Most people that I talk to about it have never heard of it in their life. I didn't hear about it until like two weeks ago. I've been taking a deep dive into it. And so disclaimer here, I am not a counselor. <laughs> I'm not a doctor. I am not saying that I'm the expert on this particular topic, but my next book and my next mission is to go out and make sure not only that the kids that we serve, that's what I used to do, but make sure that the people, the teachers, and so shout out to all the teacher, teachers and the principals and the counselors, all those people that are out there that are helping people. I want to make sure that you're just as healthy as the people that you're serving. Mm. Powerful. Yeah, I was actually, my next thing I was going to ask, you know, what, what are you up to next? But you kind of dove in and, and said exactly, you know, what it is, what, what you're up to for 2019. So, yeah, so, yeah, so that would be my biggest thing. Um, I want to be able to talk about that. So I'm about to get ready to transition away from doing majority youth motivational speaking, or my ideal thing would be able to go do a, an assembly at a school. And then later on, I would do a, uh, a teachers only. Uh, teachers and administration uh, and counselors and stuff like that. I, I really think that if we really want to build a better society, leadership starts from the top on down, mm -hmm. starting with yourself first. You pour into yourself, make sure that you're the best that you can possibly be. And then the next thing that we do is we just go right to the community. If you have too many, if you have too many people that are sick and you don't have enough doctors, you have no hospital. Point blank, period. So I'm now I'm thinking like, Oh, don't just go out to the patients. Don't just go out to the people that are hurting and sick and, 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 and they, they feel like they're dying. If we build up enough leaders, we can, we can really, we can take some great strides over the next few years if we start to focus on leadership development and making sure that our leaders are, are not only just passionate, but they're also equipped to be able to handle the workload because this world is really, really dark and, um, if we make sure that our leaders are healthy, we can we can overcome a lot of things that are going on in the world. So new book, new websites coming, uh, new coaching and development. If there's anybody out there looking to get into motivational speaking or become an author or anything like that, you know, reach out to me. Uh, Mike's a really great guy. Reach out to him as well. We're here for you and uh, we can get you going. So I'll put, um, do you have any uh, hard deadlines as far as, you know, when you when the book will be released, you have an idea, the website, when is that coming? You know, you know I like to put dates on things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So my, my book, I, I really, uh, I start with the end in mind first. So I actually did my, my book cover first. Um, um, I did my book cover. I, I got three more chapters left. I'll probably have that in about two weeks. Um, that'll come out. Uh, I just struck a deal with a publishing company. Oh, nice. Uh, we actually have a... Uh, a, a 10,000 foot warehouse where we'll be able to help you with your printing and publishing and coaching needs. Uh, we're working diligently over there. That'll roll out over the next year. Uh, so the book will probably come out either 
February, March, or I might wait until June, like this summer. Um, the name of the book is called The Greatest Year Ever. And it's basically based around knowing that January 1, and it's, it's well, the subtitle is uh, Live Every Day Like It's January 1. So basically, I'm just saying that you don't have to have a, you can have a reset moment any day of your life. You don't have to wait for January 1 in the new year and have this big reset and do all this productive stuff. You can reset your life at any moment that you want to. And so I'm going to show you how to live every day like it's January 1st. And so that's, uh, uh, I'm working on that. And then, you know, I'm about to get ready to get out here and start touring again. But this time I want to speak to uh, millennials and I want to speak to adults and make sure that they're okay. Because nobody's checking on the strong people. Nobody, people just automatically assume because you're strong, you've been strong for your family, that you're okay. And they're not okay. I wasn't okay. And it became a problem because when I start to say I wasn't okay, nobody would even, the people that I helped, they weren't there. And I start to get really upset about that. But then I had to think about it. They were hurting themselves. How could they give, they don't have anything to give me in the first place. That's why they reached out to me. So mm -hmm. how can I think that I'm going to get anything back out of a situation that was already bankrupt? You know what I mean? Like they were already in a deficit. They was already in a negative. So even if, if there were $200 in a negative, I put $100 in and then all of a sudden I go zero and I say, hey, I'm in a negative. Can you help me? They still did. They were never in surplus. I mm -hmm. can't expect to get something out of it. And that's when you really start. If you listen at most people, this is a warning sign of, of it to me. Uh, when people start to say, when I'm giving everybody else and then when I need something, nobody ever really gives anything to me and nobody's ever there for me. And I'm always there for everyone else. When you start to hear that, that is to me. From my personal experience, once again, I'm not a professional on the, the topic. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a counselor. I don't have a degree in it. What I'm saying is from my personal experiences is that when you start to say stuff like that, that's you being traumatized from dealing with people that are traumatized. Everybody's around you traumatized. Eventually, if you are around 20 traumatized people all day long, you're going to eventually become the 21st. Point blank, period. You are what you hang around. And so what happens is a lot of times we we focus on just keep on helping people and we don't put any positive people in our circles and you look up and you have a great um, problem on your hands. So I'm really going to be focusing on that to answer your question. I'm going to really be focusing on that in the new year, really going out and help building up more leaders this year and coming out with the books and the publishing company. And we're going to take some great strides in coaching and development. Nice. Nice. How do, uh, how do people find you? Yep, so you can, it's pretty easy to find me. Um, I would just tell you to just go to my social media um, and message me. It's the easiest way. I mean, I have a website. You can go to my website. It's KoranBolden.com. That's K-O-R-A-N, Bolden, B-O-L-D-E-N.com. So KoranBolden.com, you can go there if you want to book me as a speaker or if you want to find out more information about me and see my resume. You can Google me, of course. Ha, 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 shameless plug. You can Google me, of course, and look at some of my work as well. And lastly, uh, I mean, most people that reach out to me through the DMs or through the instant messenger on social media platforms. I'm on pretty much all of them. And it's if you just type in Karan Bolden, I'll pop up and you can DM me a message and we can sit down and, you know, have a phone call if I'm available. And um, I'm excited about it, man. It's, it's going to be a great 2019. Nice, nice. Absolutely. Well, man, I definitely, definitely appreciate uh, the time. I'm sure the audience at the 1% Mindset, the people who are listening to the podcast will absolutely love this. As usual, you dropped a ton of gems, you know, a ton of things that I've learned. I'm sure a ton of things that they will learn. So, uh, again, once again, I do appreciate it. I am a, uh, in 2019, I will be basically a protege of a lot of things that I've learned from you. So, again, I appreciate do appreciate it. it. 
um, as well. So, but again, for everybody, remember at Karan Bolden, K-O-R-A-N-B-O-L-D-E-N. You can find him there on, on IG, see a lot of his work. Again, a lot of stuff that I've done, I have learned uh, through him. And, you know, just keep watching out for, you know, what he does, uh, what I do, what we, what we eventually do together, because we will have some stuff in the works together this year, hopefully. Um, and, yeah, go from there. So for everyone that's, that's watching or listening, I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Take care. Talk to you.